9, verses 1 through 20. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel text and sermon text today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us, and it's given to us because he loves us. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin... Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but, night, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know who that it was did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not that far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a part. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of our Lord. And further proof that Brian needs to bite the bullet and get reading glasses. So this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. I love it because I grew up fishing. Uh, I grew up fishing a lot. My father, I probably said a time or two before, still fishes a lot. In fact, since retirement, he probably fishes five out of seven days uh, a week. Uh, Eben, when he was younger, I don't know, actually, probably still believes this. He believed that the only time we ever caught any fish was with his granddaddy, my father, that that was the only time uh, we ever caught any fish, and that was, that's, eh, you know, probably fair, it's generally true, but let me just qualify what Evan meant by catching fish when he was this little granddaddy caught the fish, he just put the pole in Evan's hand, and he just finished it off, right, that was catching fish, but at any rate, one time, I did get the best of my dad, in fact, I not only got the best of my dad, I got the best of his dad. On the same day, my pawpaw is what I called him, called him. I caught 60 fish to their 30 fish combined. 60 to 30. The two of them, 30, me, 60, right? It was going so good for me. I was killing it so much that day that we were fishing with, you call them minnows. We call them in the south minnows. We were fishing with minnows and they're, they would put a minnow on their hook and put it down in the water, and it would swim around until it died. 
And they would bring it back up and take the dead minnow off their hook and put it on my hook, and I would drop it down in the water and catch fish. Now, you may say to yourself, this sounds like a fish story, right? This sounds too good to be true. This sounds unbelievable. This sounds just like a fish story, right? Oh, I caught one. It was this big, you know, that kind of thing. Listen, go call my dad and ask him. He'll tell you. That is absolutely true. That happened. Then he's going to proceed to say, you see, we figured out later that the weight of the line that me and my father, were, you don't listen to all that nonsense. It doesn't matter, okay? What matters is the numbers, 60 to 30 combined. That's all you need to worry about here. But as Evan's comments allude to, I do know what it's like to go fishing and to catch nothing. That no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you can fish all day, you can fish all night, and you just get skunked. Nada. Zero. Nothing. Brian Pruitt knows a lot about that too, as a matter of fact. Which is partly why I resonate with this story so much, because even if you're not a fishing enthusiast, I'm sure you can relate in some way. That you take it upon yourself, some task, some project, something that you're passionate about or you want to do, and no matter what you do, no matter what you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how many hours of overtime you put in, you just come up empty. Nothing. Nothing to show for your labor, which is exactly what the disciples were experiencing in this moment. I'll read to you again verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we will go with you. They went out. They got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Nothing. Well, why did they even go fishing? It's a little bit of a puzzle. Commentators are a little split in their rationale or their uh, interpretations of why they went fishing. Was it a good thing they went fishing? Was it a bad thing they went fishing? I think it's probably like most things in life, somewhere in the middle. Um, because they were, after all, fishermen. I mean, many of them, this was their job. This was their vocation. This is not recreational fishing for them. They're not going fishing for fun. They're going fishing because this is what they did. Maybe possibly, you know, they had family members back home that were saying, hey, that was a nice three-year run you guys had with Jesus. That was cool. Now get a job. You know, get after it. Make some money. Do something. Be productive again. Stop all this just wandering around, walking the earth. But at the same time, there does seem to be this tone that the disciples were a little bit clueless as to what they were supposed to be doing with themselves. I mean, as the passage said, Jesus has already appeared to the disciples twice now. Two times already. This is not the first time they saw him. Twice now, Jesus has appeared to them and reminded them they got a job to do. He keeps telling them over and over, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. But here they are going fishing. Now, given that they still don't immediately recognize Jesus speaking to them at first, And their sheepishness and surprise to be around the resurrected Jesus once they do, the feel to me is the disciples were sitting around, and Peter says, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm going fishing. And the rest say, we don't know what to do either, so we'll just go with you. And that's what they did. They're still coming to grips, you see, with the resurrection, which is okay. Cut them some slack, right? They're still coming to grips with the resurrection and what it means for them. It's still sinking into their brains That apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. They will catch nothing. This was Jesus' point in John 15. There's nothing 
wrong with them going fishing per se, but Jesus does have something even more in store for them, and he'll use this ordinary moment, which is what Jesus does, right? His greatest ally in life is reality. He's going to use this ordinary moment to bring this point home to them yet again. So verse 4, as a Another dawn is breaking as the sun is rising. The risen Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples. Yet again, in verse 5, he calls them friends or he calls them boys, lads. Have you caught anything? And their answer, of course, is no. And then there in verse 6, it says, uh, let me find my place here, verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. We covered this passage, I'm pretty sure, uh, during this epiphany season or Lent or something. This has happened before in Luke 5. Remember that story? Jesus is preaching. He tells them there's all this big crowd, and so he like gets some distance, and plus, I guess, like the sound acoustics of how... Your voice travels over water. He gets in a boat and kind of pushes out from the shore. And while he's preaching and teaching, the disciples are fishing. Again, it's their job. It's fine. They're fishing. And they fish all night, and they don't catch anything. And when Jesus is done preaching to the crowds, he says, Hey, guys, put out your boat over there and go drop the nets, and you're going to catch some fish. You remember Luke's, um, not Luke, uh, Peter's response back then? (sighs) This guy. Okay, Lord, we fished all night long, and we've caught nothing. Because you say so, we'll do it, right? It's kind of this idea of like, listen, your job is the teaching and the preaching and the miracles. We do the fishing, all right? Don't tell us what to do or how to do our jobs. We do the fishing, but because you say so, we'll do it. And what happens? The same thing. They catch so many fish, the boat starts to sink. And they have to call another boat to come help them before they're going to be at the bottom of the lake. And Peter was annoyed, about at that time. But this time, it's, it's interesting, this time now a stranger, because they don't recognize him yet, right? A stranger on the beach is yelling at him, hey, go fish over there and you'll, uh, you'll catch some. And this time they do what the stranger tells them to do, and last time they catch all these fish. Loads and loads of fish. And one commentator, he says this, I thought this was interesting, it's notable that never in the Gospels do the disciples catch a fish without Jesus' help. Not once. Isn't that interesting? Verse 7, now it clicks. Light bulb. Ho! We've seen this movie before. We've been here before. They remember what has happened before, and they recognize Jesus, and Peter does what we expect Peter to do. The impulsive thing. Don't think, just act. That's Peter, right? He stripped down you know, I'm sure like it's hard work, it's hot or whatever, and he takes his clothes off, you know, and, and he finds out it's the Lord, and what does he do? He puts his clothes back on and then jumps in the water. That makes no sense to me at all. But that's what he does, just throws his clothes on, throws himself in the water, doesn't help his friends pull these fish in. It even says that the boat was not that far. Why didn't he just wait in the boat, for crying out loud, Peter? But that's not what he does. He, he jumps in the water, and even though This is what we expect for Peter to do the impulsive thing. It's very different than the first time Jesus gave them extraordinary success on a fishing trip. Do you remember what he did the first time this happened? The first time Jesus told them where the fish and they call this fish, all these fish, 
he falls down in the bottom of the boat. And he puts his face to the bottom of the boat at Jesus' feet. And he says, get away from me. Get away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. Peter was ashamed to be near Jesus at one point. Peter, not too long before this, couldn't distance himself from being associated with Jesus fast enough. Not too long before this, Jesus, uh, Peter has denied Jesus three times. In the previous encounters, Peter cannot get away from Jesus fast enough. Now, Peter can't get to Jesus fast enough. There's no time to help his friends with the fish. There's no time to get properly dressed He just throws himself into the sea and starts swimming as fast as he possibly can. So why the change? What's different this time? You know, Peter was scared. He was afraid of Jesus when he realized that this man who told them where to fish is also God and that this man is big and powerful and all-consuming. And he was terrorized. And listen, the resurrection has made that point again in a way like nothing else can make the point that Jesus is big and powerful and all-consuming. But the resurrection also means that Jesus loves us. That Jesus serves us. That he comes to us and seeks after us. That his love is greater than our failure. The resurrection means that Jesus' love is greater than our shame His love is greater than our limitations to try to go out and make this life happen on our own and in our own strength and resources. Peter needs the resurrected Jesus because he knows that in Jesus, this person, he is not doomed forever to be defined by his failure and his betrayal. I would love to camp out in verses 15 through 19, but for the sake of time today we won't, but just to say That whole exchange is just to reverse Peter's denial of denying Jesus three times by asking asking Peter three times, do you love me? And now Peter can affirm that, yes, I love you. And Jesus loves him. So let me ask you this. Do you try to get to Jesus as fast as you can? Do you run to this good news? Do you run to this table that we're about to celebrate every week, do you sense your hunger so much that you cannot get to Jesus fast enough? And even though I was probably a little more than annoying when I caught all those fish compared to my father and grandfather, my papa still took those fish and cleaned them up and battered them in cornmeal, cooked them over a camp stove, and invited me to come have breakfast with him, even though I was a little twerp about it. I still got to have breakfast and eat with them and know that I belonged, that I was loved, that I was cared for, that it was going to be okay, no matter what happened. And this is what the disciples are experiencing. Right here on this beach over a a coal fire, they are experiencing this same thing, Jesus and God and the Gospels in the Old Testament over and over again. 
Come and eat and know that you are forgiven and that you belong. And that's what they're experiencing too. So are you working hard? Are you doing all that you know to do? You're throwing everything in the tackle box at the challenges in your life, your vocation, your family, your relationships, your health, and you feel like you're still just getting skunked? You got nothing, nothing to show for it? Well, friends, Jesus is inviting you over and over again to come and experience His resurrection power. So run to meet Him. Do not delay, just like Peter did. And I want to close with asking, are you struggling with your call as disciples of Jesus to be fishers of men? Because that God has given us all this mission to invite others, not just ourselves to run to be with Jesus, but to invite others to come and feast with Jesus and find their hunger and their thirst for life fulfilled in Him. Do you struggle to know even where to begin when it comes to this mission and this vocation, this job that Jesus has given us to do? You know, one of the interesting things that I have learned in having these conversations about whether to merge our congregation with Clinton Hill or to stay the course and hire uh, a new pastor. One of the things that keeps coming up in these conversations is the question is, well, I think before we answer that question, we need to answer the question, well, what is our mission? What is our mission? What are we supposed to be doing? Because it seems like if we know that, then that will help us answer what's the right way to go. Whether it be to merge, whether it be to stay the course and find a new pastor, whether it be to get a building or not, which one helps us succeed and accomplish our mission? And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which path you choose because regardless of what you choose, merging buildings, not merging, it doesn't change what our mission is, which is actually quite simple. To love God, to love our neighbor, And to invite others to come and do the same. It's not much more complicated than that. To invite others to come and experience the resurrected Jesus. So would your friends and neighbors know how much Jesus is important to you? Because make no mistake, it really doesn't matter. The work of the church is still going to be the same. We can join together. We can not join together. We get a building, not get a building. It's still the same. It's still going to be the same. Would they know that Jesus is important to you? Even if it makes you look foolish like Peter, are you ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you? Are you inviting others to come and sit and feast with Jesus too? You know, we don't have usually much of a problem getting excited about some new restaurant we find, some great meal that we have, you know. We let others know about it. Hey, you got to try this place out. It's really good. Why is it often such a struggle to do the same when it comes to Jesus? When you ask the question, what is the good life that Jesus promises look like? Well, here's part of the answer. It's to share it. Part of the good life that Jesus has promised is to share it with others, to make the life that we have in Christ known to others that it's not meant to be hoarded. It is not meant to be lived in isolation. It is meant to be made known. And so let me encourage you with a few things because I struggle with this. I know you struggle with this. No matter what path we take forward, it's still going to be the same no matter what. So let me try to close and encourage you with this. Some things to 
consider regarding that vocation. The first is this. Remember, this job, this vocation, is not ours alone. It's not meant to be done by ourselves. You know, whether or not the disciples were supposed to be fishing or not fishing, whether or not the disciples really got the resurrection of Jesus and what it meant for them, whether they really understood what it is they were supposed to be doing, the one thing they did get right, they were doing it together. They were together. Maybe they were muddled, but they were being muddled together. And so the same is true for us. We are not alone. We have each other. We undertake this mission together. Even if we're confused and we don't know what to do, the biggest point is just do it together with your brothers and your sisters. At least they got that right. And then the second thing is to remember this. Take the pressure off yourselves because Jesus doesn't need your catch. This is his work. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And he's going to get it done. Did you notice that in verse 9, subtle, when they get to the beach, Jesus already got fish. He's already got bread. He's already got breakfast. He's already cooking. But what does he do? He invites them to come and offer some of theirs. In verse 10, he says, hey, Peter, bring me some of what you got. And Peter brings him 153 fish. I don't think he needed 153, Peter. He just needed a couple. But that's what Jesus does. I mean, Peter does. He offers everything he has. Because Jesus invites us to be a part of this job, of this vocation. He invites us to have a role to play in this story. And no matter how messed up it may be, and no matter how meager sometimes our offering may be, he gladly welcomes it and accepts it. In Christ. So just remember, as intimidating as it could be and can be at times, we don't do it by ourselves, we do it together, and it's Jesus' work. He's going to get it done no matter what. He's just graciously inviting us to have a role to play and get to be a part of it, to get to be handed the fishing pole sometimes and finish reeling them in, just like Evan. Peter could not get to Jesus fast enough because he needed to know he needed to be assured that his failure his betrayal was not what was going to define him for the rest of his life and so the call is to us as well to come to feast to follow and to be empowered to be fishers of men in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen